Jesus undoubtedly, undoubtedly, was the greatest gift mankind could ever have. Just, just to ponder that it pleased God to bruise His Son. And there's more to it than just bruising. He was treated in a fashion that uh, we really can't describe. Because it was required, required, that God pour out all His wrath on His own Son. Instead of us. That is the most unspeakable gift that has ever occurred. And when we ponder such things, which should be often, when we pray, ask for forgiveness of some of the sins that occur within us over and over again, that we fall short over and over again. Yet, mercy and grace and forgiveness is plenteous and cannot be measured. Those are wonderful things to think on. Just the fact that you have that awareness of the need of a Savior, that the Savior was given, and that you're depending upon Him for salvation, that's a glorious gift in itself. That the Holy Spirit indwells within you and reveals such things to you. So many things that are foreign to the world. They substitute... uh this kind of thinking towards God and His love for us that He gave His Son with, you know, just again, as I mentioned this morning, just giving, just being nice, just being kind, and you're going to be rewarded for being good. When we should come to the final thought that within ourselves, within our flesh, dwells no good thing. That's kind of sad when you think about it. But it's a thought you must come to before you can apprehend what Christ is, what the gift was, and what salvation means. You have to come to terms with your old nature. The one that's still there, he exists or she exists within you. Today, you're still prone to sin. Paul described it best. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus is His name. He came to earth, uh, of course, uh, as a baby like all of us did. And it was a joyful time, undoubtedly. But I suppose Christ could have refused before he came to planet earth. We would all be doomed. Or as he walked on planet earth and went to the garden and asked about the the terrible cup that he was about to drink from. And what it was, was all of our sin. The punishment that we deserved. And he drank of that cup. He became sin for us. God poured out his wrath on his own son rather than the people that he called. But you see, all those things had to occur or we would have no relationship with our Father, God in heaven. It was impossible for us to have a relationship with him unless our sins were covered. It had to occur. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of my sin and your sin. I want to have a relationship with God. But I know that within myself, again, there's no good thing. There's no cause for God to love me. None. This isn't a meritocracy. This isn't something you do good and then God, oh, that's a good guy there. I want him. 
Or that's a good person there. I want him or her. It just doesn't work that way. There is no answer, and I've asked this question from the pulpit. Why does God love us? We don't know. We don't know why. But when he puts the Spirit in you and you recognize that you need a Savior, you know that God loves you. And you know that your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. We sang uh, Joy to the World. That was one of mine to have before my sermon. Whoever, did one of y'all ask for it? Uh, Isaac Watts is one of my uh, favorite Writers of music and, and so forth, and so is Fanny J. Crosby, the Wesleys. They have just some wonderful songs. But this particular one, Joy to the World, it's often sang almost exclusively during this time of year, but really it's a song of prophecy. Because if you look at the last verse, you don't have to turn there. You, you know what it is. His kingdom is not complete yet. God will eventually put everything beneath the feet of Jesus. Everything will be subdued, even in death will be conquered. And we will, there will be no more death, no more dying, no more suffering from that, no more ailments of the physical flesh, which is weak. There's often times, and I would assume that you think this too, how many times is your spirit willing but your flesh is weak. Your flesh fails you. Wants the wrong thing. Does the wrong thing. And then has to ask for forgiveness. This morning we... I don't know how many we actually accomplished. I started out with some of the prophecies about Christ. The Messiah, the Savior. The Holy One of Israel. He has so many names but that he would come to planet earth and offer his life a living sacrifice. The only one that God would accept. The only one that could not be prevented in any way. And if it could have been prevented, Satan would have. Satan doesn't want your sins forgiven. His aren't going to be. And Satan's basic desire is to contaminate, to change, to alter any and do anything that he can to thwart God's will, which is an impossibility. Satan's fall occurred well before the garden. Don't know how long. Don't know when. But it had to have occurred before the, the garden because the serpent was already there. The serpent was already lying being the father of lies, he was doing what he could to contaminate the relationship Adam and Eve had with their God. Flesh is weak. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. It's the very first prophecy as far as I can ascertain about Christ and the power of God. All right, Genesis 3, we're going to start at verse 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, did God know where Adam was? Yes, with absolute precision. But it's a question that had to be asked to get the response from someone now that has sinned. Actually, two someones. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Isn't that what we do when we kind of figured out that we sinned and did something wrong? We want to hide from it. And he said, well, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And I know I probably used this statement here. And the man said, well, the woman thou gavest me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. First of all, he's blaming the woman and he's blaming God. Wasn't me. Wasn't my fault. And 
And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Again, blame shifting. The woman said, Well, the serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity or division between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Pretty important statement there, bruising your heel is really not an injury that's really very bad. Satan can't kill you. He can affect you in many ways. And I would have to add to that only in ways that God permits. So don't take anything wrong that I'm saying. Anything bad that comes into your life God knows about it. He's aware of it. And He doesn't take you to things unless He takes you through those things. I know I've used that statement here. He allows things in your life. God never tempts you. But there's temptation all around you. Walk out this door. It's there. <laughs> there are temptations everywhere. Sometimes we succumb to those. We fall prey to those temptations. Whatever they are. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. This curse was on Adam because of his sin. And by the way, you know this, in all his progeny, all of his descendants, cursed and afflicted with the same weakness of the flesh. All. You see, Satan was already a serpent. He had already been judged. Hell was already created for him and his angels. We're going to read that in a little bit. God provided a way for those that sinned that are his, for that curse to be lifted, for death to be put away. Let's continue with verse 18. And that's the promise and and what we're looking for, the prophecy that's so important. Thorns and also thistles shall bring forth to thee, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat uh, bread till thou return unto thee, unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. But one day... We're going to be resurrected. You see, God's original plan was to have a relationship with His creation, us. God burns against all sin and all that have sinned. And all would suffer eternity, suffer for eternity, unless there was an answer. Man's sin demanded an answer. If we were to have our relationship restored, the breach had to be closed. That gap had to be filled. The fall of Satan, the father of lies, and the angels occurred well before the garden, as I stated. Let's go to Matthew 25, verse 41. This is why Christ is so precious. He filled that gap. Matthew 25 verse 41 says this, Then shall he say unto them on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepared for who? Prepared for the devil and his angels. And I suppose that if man hadn't sinned, 
No men would be there. No part of mankind would be there. But sin was brought in very early in our existence. God prepared that place of eternal judgment to Satan and his followers. Satan and the following uh, fallen angels all, excuse me, knew there would be an appointed time for their judgment. We know that from there were times where the uh, uh, the devils asked, "Are you here to torment us before the time?" That tells me they were aware there's a appointed time for judgment. They were already aware of that. Verse 42. For I was hungered, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, <clears throat> and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw, uh, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Righteous. That's you, saints. That's you. Why? Because your debt was paid by someone else. That allows God to see you without sin, to be righteous, without blemish. Because Jesus paid the price for you. And Satan would have made sure that God was consistent. If God was going to judge his sin, his pride, all of his error, you would certainly be punished as well. There had to be an answer. The gap between sinful man and holy God is so vast, we probably couldn't even begin to describe it. Because his nature, he burns against sin. Yours and mine. So there had to be an answer provided. 1 Corinthians 2, please. There were so many scriptures to, I wanted to perhaps include, but there were too many. But, you know, the, the scriptures that angels want to inquire into how... Sinful men can have a relationship with God. They want to inquire how the Holy Spirit can indwell within you. But the only way for that to occur is, again, if the price was paid, the debt was paid, so you could have that relationship. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. They come to nothing. So the unelect, and I can't say that with, well, I'm better, I'm elect and they're not. It doesn't work that way either. Again, I have no idea why I'm saved or how, or why God saved me. But all those that are not His will come to nothing as well. They will be remembered no more. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Stop right there for a second. So this wasn't plan B, plan C, plan D. God wants a relationship with this creation, but they messed up. God is sitting there thinking, what do I do now? It wasn't like that. God knew before man set foot on planet earth that we would fail. And that there would have to be a remedy provided. We read the little account there, a part of it in Genesis. After man sinned, God provided and was the very first shedding of blood and provided a sacrifice of animals to give Adam and Eve a covering 
They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves much like we do. Just trying to find that covering for our sin or make an excuse for it. But God's the only one that can provide a covering for sin. It also says uh, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. So that occurred throughout the uh, our history and our spiritual forefathers. They sacrificed. But that wasn't the final forgiveness of their sin. It had to be with Jesus coming to planet earth and fulfilling the final promise. Becoming sin for us so we could have a relationship with a holy God. Verse 8 again, right? Which none of the princes of this world knew, for they had known it. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have done it. Because through that crucifixion, God accepted the sacrifice and covered our sin permanently. Satan can't touch you. Can't be taken away. No one can pluck you out of the hand of God or Christ. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That's also an interesting statement. You can't love God unless the Spirit indwells, calls you to ask for forgiveness of your sin, a sin in establishing a new relationship with the Holy God. Can't happen. The flesh will not and cannot see or do those things of its own volition. Utterly impossible. But God rewards you for loving Him. But how did you love Him without the indwelling of the Spirit? So who gets the glory in your love for God? He does. Right? Again, in my flesh dwells no good thing. But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And you can't have the Spirit without uh, indwelling without the sacrifice of Christ that you claim. No one would want to be apprehended of God without the Spirit telling them. It wouldn't be a joy to be a prisoner of Christ. And the world wouldn't even understand that. What do you mean, prisoner of Christ? I'm so thankful I'm his prisoner. And no one can pluck me out of the Father's hand. Even me. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the the things that are freely given to us by God. First the word and knowledge and wisdom of God, his son of sacrifice and of eternal life. Eternal life that was paid with an awful price. Something we could not pay on our own. You see, uh, Jesus had to come into the world. And it was a wonderful thing to comprehend that. But the greatest gift is that he went all the way to the cross. He bled and died for our sins. That is the greatest gift. Isaiah 57, 15, please. We went over many, many prophecies. There's a hundred or more prophecies of Christ. Many of them directly about His sacrifice on the cross. Where He came from. Sadducees and Pharisees, uh, nothing good came out of Nazareth. 
That's what they said. What was Christ? Was he a Nazarene? Pretty sure, <laughs> right? But if they'd have looked with spirit guidance, they would have seen all those. But they were of this world and they were blinded to all of that because of their own selfishness and greed. Their need to have uh, the people acknowledge them and see their prayers on the corner and uh, their, their fine clothes and their tithing. Watch what I'm doing. That self-righteousness they had is within me. The very same things. Selfishness, greed, self-righteousness. It's all there. All right, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I know I preached this when I was at some point when I was talking about the 51st Psalm and David coming face to face with his sin that, by the way, he didn't see it. He didn't acknowledge it. He thought it was all okay. He covered it up. But it had to be pointed out to him and after that he was crushed. He asked for forgiveness. He was aware of his sin that God brought before him and he knew and stated that God is near those with a contrite heart or spirit. And what that means is, and I know I've given this definition, it means ground to powder. And that's what we want. We want God to take our will, our stubborn, unrighteous, sinful will, crush it into powder, you being that symbol, and then reassembling that into something that's good. To take a vessel that's unholy and unworthy to hold the Spirit and change it into a vessel worthy of holding the Spirit of God. That in itself is a thought beyond my comprehension. That God can change me. One that is depraved Sinful, unworthy, provide mercy, and change me into a container. Again, a container that can hold the Spirit of God. There's so many scriptures dealing with that. God can mold and make any earthen vessel made of clay into whatever he wishes. Some to honor, some to dishonor. Period. It's his work. It's his work of that master being able to mold and make us. You see, this promise that was made in this verse is yet unfulfilled completely. Yes, the promise came to earth. Yes, he gave his life. But the completion of all that the consummation of all things has not occurred yet, and that's what I eagerly desire. Not that, God, I can't wait for you to fix the evil world out there. It's, God, I can't wait for you to change me permanently into a body that's sinless. You see, the Old Testament saints... They were fully aware that they had need of a savior, a defender, a protector, a holy sacrifice, a Messiah, Emmanuel. That God sent his son to live here with us, to walk among us sinless. He fulfilled the law completely, every jot, every tittle, every great law, all the little minor things. And I say minor being that there are lots of laws. Read Leviticus. 
Many may argue a lot of those don't apply to us today. Perhaps that's true, but Christ fulfilled all of them. There's no accusation that could be brought against him to say, you didn't complete this one. But God accepted that pure lamb and sacrificed him with one purpose in mind, to receive a people unto himself, which was the only way. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and me. The judgment of God had to be satisfied. Christ was the answer. He was the propitiation. He was the sacrifice that God accepted to set things in the balance. With God, everything has to be true. He's consistent, immutable, never changes. If He punished Satan and his followers, one-third of the angels for sinning, He certainly had to punish all those that sinned. Because of our sin, the answer had to be brought forth. We're going to read a couple of things that, and I was teasing with uh, Brother Weil last week. I said, yeah, you stole some of my thunder. It's hard not to talk about some certain scriptures and things. And I was just teasing with him a little. So let's go to Isaiah 7, verse 14. We're just going to read one of the verses there. He read more in there, 7, 10, and some others. I think 12 here as well. It wouldn't take much research for the Sadducees and Pharisees to go, oh, this is Emmanuel. (laughs) This is the promised one. But they were looking for another. One a little more compatible, perhaps, with their religion and the way they felt. One that would recognize how good they were. Which was an impossibility. Alright, Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. A sign. Should have been recognized. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. The Anointed One. The One Appointed. For what? To holiness and greatness? Yes. But to give His life for you. Isaiah 12. Just a few pages down. Verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Shouldn't we say that a lot? God, I'm going to praise you even though I know you're angry with me. But you're not going to pass judgment on me because... Jesus died for my sins. And I've had lots of discussions on does God really look on sin at all? He has to be aware of He's omniscient and omnipotent and, and those things and omnipresent. But at the same time, when He looks upon me, He sees the righteousness of Christ and not sinful me. Same with you. Isn't it wonderful that He doesn't see those things? They're cast as far as the east is from the west. Judgment was passed on to his son rather than you. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Praise his name. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. This morning we read about the the woman at the well talking about water. Jesus walked 24 miles out of his way to talk to a sinful Samaritan woman. What was he doing doing that? I'm being a little uh, catty with that because that's even what his disciples thought. What are you doing here with her? But the same thing was said about them with Simeon and others. What are you doing with them? You're out with the publicans and the sinners. Thank goodness he was. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, and make mention that His name is exalted. That's what our job is. I've been saved. I want to share with you my hope. As a sinner, I was hopeless. But as forgiven, I have a future and I have hope. Because I called upon the Lord. Again, you wouldn't call upon the Lord without the Spirit urging you to do so. Call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. That's why we sing songs of praise and adoration. It makes us happy. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. What a wonderful prophecy here in Isaiah about the Savior. Now Luke chapter 2, and you know what we're going to read. It's not old. It's wonderful. I was going to talk about the star, and I'm only going to make a short mention of it. The star that was in the, what direction? East. So, if the wise men came from uh, where the Medo-Persian empires and things were, they were the remnants left there, probably descendants of Daniel and so forth. Very wise, very smart. Uh, when they were taken captive, they took the best of people. The best carpenters, stonemasons, intelligent people, and so on. That's, and the princes, that's who they took. But those wise men that stayed, and here's my question. If you're in Persia looking towards Jerusalem, what direction are you looking? West. Okay. Well, then I got to thinking, and it's just my scientific, uh, scientific mind and some things. Well, the stars in the east, and it was, it has to be, it specifically states that in scripture. Uh, it had to be a supernatural phenomenon or everybody would have seen it. Herod didn't know. He had to ask of the wise men. Where is this uh, baby that I could go worship? But they saw it, followed it, and it's not, if somebody has a good answer for this, I'd be happy to, to know or discuss it. But these, the wise men followed that to the young Jesus, not in the manger, but the young Jesus, the toddler, to visit him. And certainly the Spirit told them, don't share anything with Herod. He has bad intentions. For two years he slaughtered babies just to try to get rid of the king that was born. All right. Luke 2 chapter, or verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. It's kind of how we know when Jesus truly was born. It's not a specific time, but we know it was around the fall period. That's one clue. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. It was time. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is rich with prophetical things. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock. Shepherds were very simple people. Uh, I can just imagine them, and I used to relate these to the fishermen that were in our church, to hard-working, salt of the earth. But to work with these guys, whether it was at the church or doing some other projects, there was always this camaraderie and uh, love for one another. But see, this announcement was not going to be to kings, to emperors, to rulers, to the important ones. And I'm saying that from an earthly perspective. But God revealed this to simple shepherds. 
They were looked down upon. They were, in most opinions, of lower parts of society. But let's continue. Shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's a key word there. Not just... God with us, but a Savior. And in order to be a Savior, He would have to sacrifice Himself. Without the sacrifice, we wouldn't be saved. There would be no permanent covering for our sin. Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Think about this. The heavenly hosts opening up when they could see it. There were millions of angels there. Perhaps even more if the, the saints that had gone before. I have my doubts about that, but I'll tell you why later if you want. Uh, all the souls were captive until Christ died. I think I've talked about that before. Perhaps that's a sermon for another time. But this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God saying this. In verse 15, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, one to another, well, let us go uh, now even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. This simple, small group of people was the announcement made. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which are told them by the shepherds. And this was my lead verse from the lesson this morning. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary had already had an announcement made to her that she would conceive. And an announcement was made to Joseph that don't be afraid of what's occurring to her. She's the chosen vessel for Jesus Christ the Son. There had to be many other things. If, if Mary was uh, studious and uh, uh, righteous and followed God and was in the synagogue, she had heard these prophecies throughout the Old Testament. That's what they read when they went to this synagogue. The person in the lead would read certain scriptures. Jesus did that when he visited and they were astonished at his readings and his wisdom. So she had to be exposed to those things as well. Can you think for a moment that as she stared into the eyes of that precious baby that she had some awareness that he would have to give his life for everyone else? That would be hard. It would be hard for me to think about any of my sons or grandbabies or a grandbaby, singular, Praying for more. But for them to be sacrificed? That's a hard thing. I don't know if she thought that or not. What she was pondering. But there had to be some awareness of the future king and what he would do to gather his kingdom. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen as it was told to them. We're going to go to verse 25, just a few. It's, it just continues there. But And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. They knew Jesus was coming. Been prophesied over and over, at least a hundred times. 
whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Again, he was driven by the Spirit with and have knowledge and to do these things. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according uh, to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He didn't say king. He didn't say ruler of the earth. He said salvation. That is the important thing. That that innocent baby of eight days old would eventually die for our sins and he would be sacrificed. The salvation. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles. Ooh, that's us. And the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled. And I'm just going to stop there. Marveled at all these things that were occurring. 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16, verse 22. And it says this, If any man loved not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. What that means is, cursed without the Lord. Because we can cry out maranatha, because we want the Lord to come to us. Maranatha means our Lord is coming and will set his foes at naught or at nothing. We read that earlier in a verse. Am I in the right place? Luke, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Okay. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You see, we were made to serve and praise God. That's what we're built for. He deserves our love and adoration. One, because He is who He is. But number two, He provided a sacrifice for our sins so we could have a relationship with Him. And we look for the final parts of Jesus coming to earth and having everything subdued under Him till we can live and serve Him forever beyond these bodies of sin. Luke 19, in closing. Luke 19, verse 38. Saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You see, God deserves our praise. And can you imagine that? That wasn't just a fictional statement. All creation groans and is waiting for things to be set right. And I have no doubt that if we didn't praise God, the very rocks would cry out, worshiping Him. It says the stars sing. I don't know the meaning of all those things, but what a wonderful thing to ponder. That God's creation points to Him, has joy with Him, and praises Him. That's why we should be able to look at all those things and understand that there is a God who has to be perfect, but yet, if I look at myself, I know I'm a sinner. How can I have a relationship with Him? And then have a desire put within us by the Spirit 
to acquire those things, to be apprehended of Christ. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. We didn't get to all the prophecies. Jesus was put to death by his friends, supposed friends. Those that should have been there to worship him and to be waiting for him and to recognize him. Yet they put him on the cross. They made fun of him and mocked him. Stuck out their lips and their tongue and and said grievous things to him. Nailed him to the cross. And I know I've said this before. If I was there, I'd have a hammer in my hand. I would have mocked him along with all the others. Had he not changed my heart. It's just simple as that. We'd like to think it wouldn't be us. But even if you don't like the words that I just said, your sin put him on the cross. Yours and mine. He didn't deserve to die. That wonderful, lovely baby had to grow to be a man and give his life for us. After a very short ministry of three years, and even within that short three years, it says all the things that he did couldn't would fill all the books. Daily the people pressed against him. Many wanted the healing and restoration physically. Some were not even interested in the spiritual healing. It says by his stripes we're healed. That's spiritual healing first, then physical. But the spiritual has to come first. Then you can recognize and ask for the other needs. I would like to close with because he lives and uh, consider the words of the song. But let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are broken hearted over our sins. We are most thankful for the greatest gift to mankind that we had a Savior that willingly would go to the cross to die as a living sacrifice and that you accepted that. And forgiveness could be applied to all of us and our names will be in the book of life and not blotted out because of our sin. Jesus, we thank you. Such a blessing to us. Your forgiveness is wanted and needed. And we thank you that you filled that gap. You corrected all the enmity and division between us and God the Father. And for that we are most grateful. Amen.